Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hi, everyone. Rachel here. Before we dive into the episode, which is the first in a series about the Me Too movement that we recorded actually many months ago before we launched our podcast, I just wanted to share how much we struggled with the topic. We're guessing that you may struggle with it, too, working through all the thoughts, reactions, and maybe even contradictory feelings you might have about it. These are our attempts to be raw and real with something that we felt was worth a conversation, even if we definitely admit that we don't arrive at complete answers. And I know I speak for the three of us. If anything we say feels insensitive, we hope you'll forgive us. And while I've got you, thank you so much for listening. We've been overwhelmed by the response. It's just so much more than we anticipated, and we are truly grateful. So without further ado, here is Mary Scott. Hello, this is Mary Scott Hunter. I am your host today for Bell Curve. Uh, every week we kind of move around the host hostesses who's going to kind of facilitate the conversation. And this is my week. And we are going to take up a topic today that it's just a topic I think that is going to stay relevant for a long time. And it's not new. It's not going to be you know, in the past for a long time. And that is the topic of men and women in the workplace, specifically women and men in closed meetings for work. So it is a topic that came up fairly recently, you know, a couple of years ago when, when Mike Pence became the vice president of the United States of America, because there was an Atlantic article that I don't really dived into it, but the idea was that um, the Pence rule was now in place in Washington, and that can be interpreted as no closed door meetings with women um, who are not your wife in the workplace. And, you know, that sparked a lot of conversation and a lot of thinking. And in fact, one of the first times I ever met Rachel, um, Rachel was interviewing me because I was in political office running for office at the time. And she asked me about the Pence rule. And we can get into that in a second. But let's start with just kind of defining a closed meeting. I think that's a good place to start. And I'll I'll tell you how I define a closed door meeting. I think it sometimes has a negative context, but there's lots of reasons to have closed door private meetings in the workplace. If something happens behind closed doors, um, sometimes it can be thought of as hidden or from public view or kept a secret, um, such as like it's negotiated behind closed doors. And that has a negative connotation. But I don't necessarily think of it as negative. I'm a lawyer. Maybe that's the reason why I have to have a lot of closed door conversations, very sensitive conversations. And closed meetings are small, uh, sometimes one-on-one, so just two people, or a small group. Uh, and it's a conversation that's behind a, a closed door or another private setting, maybe a maybe a uh, either an office or a boardroom, something like that. And it's called because of a few specific issues that are disputed or strategic or very sensitive, uh, but can also be for the purpose of mentoring or visioning or another general professional purpose. But 
I don't think of closed door meetings as in any way negative or, of course, in any way sexual in the workplace. I think of them as for a specific purpose. How do y'all think of them? That's tough, Mary Scott. This this is a really tough conversation to have in general, but you know, especially at this at this time in in history and in culture where we are having so many discussions about the the Me Too movement, and then you know, and also what are some the best ways to not only deter that and to deter that behavior, but mitigate it from happening in the first place. Um, to answer your question. To me, a closed door meeting is is unaccept. Not oh gosh, I don't even know what I want to say. Can we cut this part out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it demonstrates the amb- the ambivalence that a lot of women, yeah. and actually men, feel in the workplace about yeah. no closed door meetings. Because if if I can't if I can't have a private meeting with one of my clients, male or female, there's just some things that can't get done. And, you know, because there are some issues and some topics that are so sensitive or confidential because of the, you know, the either the nature of the work or the nature of, of the client that if I can't, you know, have a, I can't have all my meetings in coffee shops. You know, if I can't have a, a, a meeting in a closed door conference room, then I can't do my job sometimes. Yeah, I think that article, Rachel? well, the, the article that you referenced, I think is a, it was a good article. Um, it was written by Olga Kazan, I think is how you pronounce her last name. But she really pointed out, it seemed to me that a lot of the trouble is that men and women worry about the way their meetings are perceived, that maybe they would actually be perfectly comfortable themselves. But do they want to be out to dinner with somebody and someone see them across the room and say, Hmm, wonder what they're up to or they go into the closed door meeting that would would make sense to be a closed door meeting maybe it's for mentorship maybe it's a sensitive topic but they have to think to themselves well great in this culture what do people think is going on behind that door and i think that's not just men worry about that i think that i think that women can worry about that so i i'm i'm definitely one who would say i'm quite ambivalent about this topic I'm really glad that we're talking about it. In fact, one of my very favorite quotes from um, a great book called Thanks for the Feedback by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen, they they just put it in such a way that I I feel like applies to this. So I'd love to just read the whole quote. They said, um, human emotions don't necessarily cancel each, each other out. I can love spending time with you and still be anxious that you're coming. I can genuinely appreciate your mentoring and decide not to take your advice. I can be sad that I'm hurting you and proud of myself for doing the right thing. Contradictory feelings sit side by side in our hearts and minds, clacking against each other like marbles in our pocket. And to me, that just completely encapsulates mm-hmm. how I feel about this issue. I, I understand where both sides are coming from, where someone might say, you know what? The culture that we live in, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm going to leave the door open, come what may. You know, why even, why even put myself up to a risk that someone who I thought was a perfectly reasonable woman might, who knows, accuse me of something. Or maybe she is perfectly normal, but now the person down the hall is like talking about me behind my back and thinking there's something mm-hmm. horrible going on. You know, so I, I just, I see both sides because I also have meetings with male mentors that it would just be very annoying if I thought our conversation was being heard by everybody out in the hallway. So it's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. 
And closed door meeting for you is a, literally a meeting in an office setting. Well, for both of you, office setting, boardroom setting, where it's one on one or you know a, a very small group. Closed door. Well, I, I guess I, I guess that can be literally closed door, or it could just be one on one. In my opinion, I mean, I've you know, like I said, I've worked I worked from home when I was working on that news website. Um, our technical guru who was just an absolutely amazing young man he came to my house by himself we worked on the website together absolutely Mm -hmm. was there nothing of course there's nothing inappropriate about that I was completely comfortable he was too but looking looking back I think okay well you know in our society today what was that fine I think it was and I think it's all about the comfort of the people involved but when you talk about people making rules for themselves then it's kind of tricky because what if you're comfortable with one person, but you're just really not with another person? Mm. You know, Mm. I think it kind of saves the person who's making the rule because let's just take a man, for instance. Maybe he's perfectly comfortable with his secretary. There's no attraction, no worries, but there's someone else on his team he's not very comfortable with. It's, it wouldn't be appropriate to say, oh yeah, okay, I'll ride alone, alone in a car with you, but not you. So maybe that sweeping rule helps everybody not to be offended or hurt or for there to be that that weirdness. I don't know, just one thought. Well, let's dive into the Pence rule because we've kind of now we've 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 talked about what a closed door meeting looks like in the workplace, you know, for each of us. And it's a little different, um, you know, depending on where you work and what you do. And if you're, you know, for example, I think even the Atlantic article, it talked about women and men driving in cars together. That can be a kind of a closed door meeting, a dinner, you know, out with, you know, you're on a business trip, just the two of you. And, you know, maybe you're on an airplane together or you're, you know, or, and maybe sometimes it's high level enough that you're on a private airplane together, or you're on a, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have, Hang out in your hotel room all night, going to dinner together can be kind of like a closed door meeting. So you just the the kind of closed door meeting. In Pence's case, the actual Pence rule that he references, he himself says, and I think we are kind of attributing what I call artificial suck (laughs) to the Pence rule. What he said is that he doesn't eat alone with a woman other than his wife at events which at, at which alcohol are served. Now that's pretty specific. Now, I think it's interpreted as he won't meet with the, you know, secretary of whatever, you know, secretary of education, who's a woman, you know, with the, with his door closed. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't I don't think that that mm-hmm. probably is how he conducts his business. And I think Liz actually has some specific knowledge of that. Yeah. But- so so I actually uh, know a woman who used to be his uh, Mike Pence's press secretary when he was in the U S house of representatives. And in response to this article, when it first published several months ago, she wrote a response and we'll include it in the show notes. Um, But speaking to this very issue that there were a lot of concerns when he started talking about what his, his personal rules for conduct and, and workplace were when it came to women that there were there was going to be no way for women to advance in his administration because you know if you if you don't get that one-on-one time that a man might have but you know, she she said no that's not how it was at all he was um <laughs> the, the the one thing 
there's a quote from her article. It was in the Washington Post. It said, Washington will swallow your soul if you let it. It is a place where many moral compasses go to die. So maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise that the vice president of the United States is ridiculed when it's reported that he spent time in office his spent his time in office choosing to live his life differently from the DC status quo. So her argument was he was making a specific choice to live a certain way, but he didn't let that choice get in the way of doing other things that are also right. But my and gender my, never and, factored into how my work was evaluated or whether my responsibilities were expanded. Um, and of course this is while he was, he was a member of Congress. And so she was in a, a position where she was speaking as press secretary for a member of Congress. And you know, if, if you're in that position and can't have candid conversations, you can't do your job. So she, she could knows firsthand how this rule was, was implemented. And like you said, what was the term you use? The false suck? <laughs> Artificial suck. Artificial <laughs> you suck. Know, now, Either way, let's let's take the most extreme view. I mean, I think we can. I don't know. Maybe all are different, but I believe that that if the extreme rule is you will not have any closed door meetings with with women if you are a man in the workplace, that is ridiculous. I don't agree with that. That is not a rule that you can have without exception without hurting women. Well, and so, can I just add to that, that that one of the most extreme examples, and I know it's widely embraced in the South at churches, but I, I can't get my mind wrapped around this one, is that if you work, I'm just thinking of a specific church, if you work at this large church and you were to be driving, a, you were a male driving your car from one side of the campus to the other, and it started pouring down rain, and you saw one of your female coworkers or a female in general wa- walking in, in the rain, getting soaked, okay, you would have to drive right on by other oh, rather than be in a car alone. And I, I <laughs> this is a church I love and respect. And yet, to me, that's that, absurd. That is, that's hard to wrap my mind around. Um, it's absurd. So that would be an, ex- in my mind, also an extreme example. I just, I, I think that in the case of the Pences, they are evangelical Christians. He is trying to protect his marriage and honor his wife. It's not surprising that he would have some parameters here. And I do think, though, that he has made it a long way in politics. So obviously, it is not a rule mm-hmm. that he holds without exception. It's, I mean, your friend, uh, Liz, would not have made it so far in her career if his actual rule was never having a sensitive private conversation with her. Um, I do think that when we think about Pence, what that sparks, though, is that there are other men in an office, in it, whether it's political office or in the workplace, place. I mean, and let's face it, men hold most of the CEO positions. They hold most of the leadership positions in companies. They hold most of the uh, board of director positions in the United States of America. Um, and that's changing slowly, but it, it, if, if we kind of take the Pence rule to the extreme, you know, if, if you took that approach, either because of your faith, mores and values, or because you're just scared of litigation or you, you know, you're kind of running scared all the time, that's going to hurt the women in your, you know, that are in your span of control. And um, I want to read some, some social science research here that shows that this practice extends beyond politics and into the business world. And it can hold women back from key advancement opportunities 
opportunities. A 2010 Harvard Business Review research report led by Sylvia Ann Hewlett, the president of the Center for Work-Life Policy think tank, found that many men avoid being sponsors, workplace advocates for women, because sponsorship can be misconstrued as sexual interest. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, looking back on some of those gentlemen who made such a difference in my life by mentoring me or giving me opportunities, I didn't realize at the time, I, I really didn't realize at the time that they were probably taking a mild risk. Um, I mean, for one mm-hmm. example I can think of, I mean, risk meaning wor- worrying what others might think of them. I remember being in my college cafeteria and I'm a pretty easygoing person, but I remember getting furious at a friend of mine, a male friend of mine, because he, and in fact, I remember slamming my hand on the cafeteria table and just raising my voice and people staring at us because he very cynically suggested that this older, wonderful journalism professor who had taken me under his wing and was teaching me and spending time and helping me get to the next level and giving me opportunities, he suggested that the reason he was doing that was because I was a young woman and, you know, why, why else would he be taking an interest in you? Ha, ha, ha. And it made me so mad because I, it I, should. Thought, I just thought that this is what keeps women from from having opportunity. And, and how, how unfortunate for for those gentlemen who do say, I'm not going to worry about that. But the, but, you know, we're all human. We care what people think. And I think especially now with the Me Too movement, um, again, which I fully support people standing up against horrible things that have happened to them. But I, I believe that the majority of men are good men. I, I don't I don't think that sexual harassment is going on left and right in every office and that it's just this overarching, you know, men are just preying on women at every opportunity. I think most of us are good people trying to do a good job, trying to deal with also what that Atlantic article mentioned, which was, um, let me find it, find the quote. There was this one line that I thought, you know, we have to acknowledge. She said, What's more, quote, 30% of them noted that the sexual tension intrinsic to any one-on-one relationship with men made male sponsorship too difficult to be productive. So what that made me think was, can we forgive each other for sexual tension? Can we, can we kind of just forgive the fact that if you're a young woman, someone might be uncomfortable around you, doesn't make them a creep? doesn't make them weird if they get a little flustered if you're attractive you know can can we forgive them that and just kind of try to ignore that so we can all be productive <laughs> I mean, or what, what do you even think of that? can we just can we just decide can we just i mean we're we are more than our impulses yes we are thinking people yes we are not you know, an, we're not animals no we're not we're animals we're more you know you can decide uh, this isn't you know, yeah, this isn't the time for that. This isn't the place for that. This is the workplace. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. And I, I, I think we can, you know, Rachel, I have my own story like that. I ran for public office, as y'all know, and I, I, I'm known as a fundraiser. I'm a really good fundraiser. And, and I was asked by a reporter because I have one donor in particular and usually this is the case with every politician who's ever walked the planet. You have one or two or three or four. You have a few donors that usually give outsized donations. And that's because they believe in you. They believe in your leadership. They believe in what you stand for. You know, they, they believe in your character. And she asked me 
the question about this one and I, I could tell what she was really asking was, are you doing something for him? Mm. Is that the reason why? And, mm. and what was so disappointing is that it was coming from a female reporter mm. <laughs> and I took great umbrance and, and fired back in the extreme and, and she backed down. Um, but I thought, you know, my opponent has raised just as much money as me. Was he asked if he did sexual favors for the, you know, for the people that donated to his campaign? I mean, it was a really, really, really bad moment. And, um, I like what you just said, because that leads me to the, I mean, we, we aren't animals. We are thinking people that can make decisions and if you are going to be successful in the workplace as a woman, you do have to make, just as Pence, let's give him props for making some decisions about how he's going to behave, you do need to make some decisions about how you're going to behave. Now, is that going mm. to stop? You know, you have, I made a list of the Me Too bad actors, Harvey Weinstein, Ben Affleck, Oliver Stone, Kevin Spacey, Charlie Sheen, Garrison Keillor, Matt Lauer, Geraldo Rivera, Larry King, you know... <laughs> like a tenth of the NFL, George H.W. Bush, Roy Moore, Al Franken, Donald Trump, for heaven's sakes. You know, these, mm. they're a long list of, of, of people that have crossed the line in the workplace. They have crossed the line. And so your decisions, how you are going to act and behave are, are not always going to protect you from bad actors. They're not. Um, but, you know, it does help. It does help. And if, on the other hand, the, the person you're interacting with, if they're making, if they're conversely also making good decisions about how they're going to behave in the workplace, the relationship works just fine, in my opinion. What do y'all think? I, I think so much of it is cultural. So much of it is cultural. And, and you know, for the Washington, D.C. part of it, I think we've all interacted with and and heard stories about what life can be like and what offices can be like in that environment. And it's almost one of those things where people say, oh, this happens all the time in other offices. So if it must be happening here too. And I, I remember when I, the first time I had an internship in politics, back when I was still in college, my mom saying to me, Elizabeth, you have to be above reproach, just beyond reproach. You have to behave and interact with the people um, you know, that you're going to be working with in a way that nobody could question what your motives are and nobody could question your actions, that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. And that's the the take I've tried to take I, since then. You know, I, I'm now a professional and, and married and very happily married. And, and you do have to set boundaries, but how do you set those boundaries when it's not always the same culture as it might be in Washington D.C. or in you know some other big cities where questionable behavior seems to be a lot more prevalent than it might be in in the sectors that we work in. Thank you, Liz, because we do need to normalize our professional interactions with men. They need to be normalized, and that's not always going to look the same. Just as you just said, it's not going to be the same in every situation. But what are for our listeners out there, because we need to have an answer for them. We don't need to leave them with, this is this is an area fraught with ambivalence. It's an area that is fraught with difficulty. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not an easy answer. But I do think we can make some suggestions to our community today and the, the women who are listening that, that can give them some tips on how to normalize their relationships with men in their workplaces. So, suggestions. 
long pause. <laughs> okay, for me, I think I think the first thing that I would I would just suggest is believe the best about people. Believe the best about yourself. But believe the best about the people that you're interacting with and I think sometimes when we when we have a certain expectation of other people's behaviors, they will rise to the occasion. So if you hold yourself high, your head high with dignity, you act with dignity, and you expect dignity from other people, and you don't look for foibles and problems, then you'll be surprised that what you're looking for is what you find. You might find the best in other people. And I think that sometimes we can read these articles and we can read examples of Me Too and we can say, oh gosh, well I guess I do have lots of examples of being mistreated. And then we start to look for the bad in other people. And again, not saying that situations of abuse aren't abuse. Those are, in my mind, there are wide, wide, wide varieties of things that fall under this category. But I wanna separate abuse and harassment from just people being people, people getting flustered, maybe giving a compliment that you find to be a little bit, huh, that was interesting coming out of your mouth, but just believing the best that people are trying to, to do well. That, that's honestly what, how I try to navigate. And so far, I've had a few situations, but so far that has been, um, I find what it is I'm looking for. Great suggestion. Liz? I, I think the most difficult part of all of this is I feel like I am a very privileged person for a lot of reasons, but particularly when it comes to this and that if I, you know, if, if I'm in a, a situation where I feel uncomfortable or somebody like Rachel, like you said, somebody says something that crosses the line, I can say you crossed the line and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to lose my job. It doesn't necessarily mean you know that there are other negative ramifications that are going to come from me standing up for myself. That's the biggest problem about all of this to me is that so because women for such a long time haven't been inhabiting those CEO positions or those board of director positions or those high you know positions of power and leadership that we're afraid of the ramifications of if we stick up for ourselves and that's to me where we have to change number 1 is is saying you know speaking with courage of of when we feel like somebody has crossed the line and being ready to have to back that up in some way being ready to, to go have that hard conversation with HR or have that hard conversation with your boss's boss. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. And I, and I struggle even saying that because I, I know that I am privileged in the way that I can, I can have those hard conversations without too many ramifications for my professional life. But that's, that's my big, that's my big um, piece of advice is be willing to, continue having those hard conversations with the people who can do something about it. I have a couple of pieces of advice for our listeners. Um, and, and again, this is not an easy area. And so, you know, I, there are, there's quid pro quo sexual harassment situations, which are just horrible when you're basically being asked for sex in exchange for something, you know, there's, you know, there's rape in the workplace. There's, there's horrible, awful situations. Um, and all of them, you know, everything from the little, you know, weird moment to the, you know, to something, to a, an assault, you know, and everything in between. So your situation is not always going to line up neatly into a box. And in fact, it probably most times it won't, but I do think there's a couple of things that, 
you can do to protect yourself and to promote yourself um, in the workplace. One, don't bring it. Don't don't bring it to the workplace. Don't as I think Rachel, you've probably said it best, but I want to reiterate that. Expect the best. You know, expect don't 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 bring that sexual tension and don't expect it. Uh, and I think that's what Rachel said about believing the best is probably that's that's a great way to approach it. I hadn't thought about that, Rachel, mm-hmm. but that was my first piece of advice is is don't bring it and don't expect it. And you said it better than I. The second piece of advice I would have is if it comes into play and and you, and you can't always recognize it because sometimes these things are insidious but if it comes into play in a meeting in a in a and it's just all of a sudden out of nowhere just hammer back immediately i mean don't leave any room for ambiguity don't leave any room for if if you have the courage in that moment. And sometimes you don't recognize it. Sometimes it's a little bit ambiguous. Sometimes it's insidious. So this, you may not always be able to do this, but if you, if somebody propositions you in the workplace, hammer back immediately and make it clear that that is not welcome and never will be welcome. So the third thing that you might consider, watch some movies and some TV shows with strong female protagonists, like, Maybe, I don't know, if Xena, the warrior princess, is your thing, or I like Madam Secretary uh, with Tia Leone, or there's the old um, the old Star Wars, uh, Star Trek Next Generation with Counselor Troy. She was just such a, you know, such a fabulous professional. Um, the Americans is a great one with the, with the Russian spies that are integrated into American life and, you know, how, uh, the, the, the strong female character in that show handles herself. But it's, it's, I know Hollywood is Hollywood and it is different and things don't work out like Hollywood, but these strong female protagonists in literature as well, um, uh, literature, movies, television, they can kind of help, help you in a way, just help you feel stronger, help you kind of see how, you know, what, 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 what it looks like in a risk-free environment. Hmm. And, you know, there's, it it just, it helps me and I can't explain how it helps me. And remember it's make believe. So, you know, you're not going to haul off and smack people and stuff like that. But, (laughs) but um, (laughs) these, you know, these strong female protagonists, um, either in, in, in movies, TVs, or literature, or even in history, uh, can really help inspire you as well and help you um, just handle yourself. It's, this, is, this is not an easy topic, and I think any way you can get a tool to help yourself is good. I think you're right. I mean, I think as humans, we just, we have to, mo- we need models. We need, we need to be able to visualize what it looks like, the thing that we're trying to think through. What, what does that look like and who's embodying it? I think role mm-hmm. models play that same part. Well, Rachel, don't you have a poster of Wonder Woman on your wall? <laughs> I I literally have. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, and it just doesn't go with my my sense of you know wanting to have this very veranda looking house. I mean, my house does not look like Veranda Magazine, but you know, it just having this random superhero poster on my wall doesn't go with that aesthetic. But it just helps me. I, I just like to visualize what it is that I'm trying to go for. So I was like, you know what? It's our bedroom. I'll just put it on the wall. No one's gonna see it when they come over for dinner. <laughs> I think what we should probably do is um, 
make some more time for this issue because it's not an issue that we can cover in 30 minutes and it's one and done. Thanks again for listening in. We're going to take up this topic next week as well and try to flesh it out even more. We are at Bell Curve Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you download podcasts. And if you could, leave us a review. Please like us, follow us, and uh, connect with us in social media. Have a great week.